Hi, I'm Chris Sarandon, and this is Cooking by Heart, where we revisit the vivid memories of the food we grew up with and the stories and the people attached to that time in our lives. Today, we're fittingly coming to you from J.P.'s Diner, smack dab in the middle of Fairfield's Sacred Heart University in downtown Fairfield, Connecticut. Today, my guest is Hal Linden, who began his show business career in his teens as a big band musician and singer. Later, after turning to acting, he won the Best Actor Tony Award for his betrayal of Meyer Rothschild in the Broadway musical, The Rothschilds. His best-known role is as the title character in the television comedy series, Barney Miller, earning him seven primetime Emmy nominations during the show's seven-year run. He also hosted the educational series, FYI, for which he won two special daytime Emmy awards. Folks, I take great pleasure in introducing my papa from the Rothschilds, Hal Linden. Hey, Hal. How are you, darling? Lovely, lovely to see you. We go back a long time. Yes. A lot of water under this bridge. Yes, man, much water under this, this rather sopping bridge. Right. I often like to start these shows by talking of provenance, of where we came from, because it has so much to do with the subject of the show. And your provenance, your, where you came from was the Bronx, New York City. Bronx, New York. Bronx, how did your family, how did your family find its way there? As immigrants to America, they lived on the Lower East Side with all the other Jewish immigrants. In, um, I think it was 1902 they got here. Wow. That was my grandfather. Right. Uh, on my mother's side. From where? Uh, from, uh, they came from Bialystok, which I think is Belarus today. It was Makes Russia sense. or Poland. It was Russia or Poland. I think it might have been Poland, but I'm not sure. Well, you know what it was? It was, <laughs> that's, a, that's a, a family story. It was Russia or Poland, depending on the day of the week. <laughs> and that, it actually kept changing. And the, the, the family story is one aunt waking up another aunt in Bialystok. Right. Saying, saying Lily, Lily, we're, we're in Poland again. And Lily said, Thank God, I, I don't think I could take another Russian winter. It was my mom's side. They, they lived on the Lower East Side, and then they moved up to uh, East Harlem, was a uh, big immigrant area. Right. And then, and then in the 20s, my father, my grandfather bought this house in the Bronx to house uh, two of his families. He lived with one of them. Yes, and I grew up in that house in the Bronx. My father came from Lithuania as a teenager, probably in about 1908 or nine, something like that. There were nine children in his family. One stayed with the with the elderly parents. The eldest stayed with the elderly parents. Right. Four went to South Africa, and four came to America. When your father got here, what did he do? Oh, he was a teenager. He apprenticed at a printing. Uh, business and uh, eventually had his own printing firm. Right. And your mom? A bookkeeper. Uh, my mom was, uh, she never let us forget it that she gave up her bookkeeping to become a full time mother. And, right. Uh, like so many women of that time. 
and she, and I think she resented it for the rest of her life because she thought she could have done very well. She was a very bright woman, right? And and what what was the what was the dinner table like at your house? First of all, it was in the kitchen. Oh, <laughs> we had a dining room, but it, that that was saved for uh, Passover. Actually, we didn't have a dining room uh, for the for the life of my grandfather. He lived in that room until he died, and then it became the dining room. Right. Uh, so I, I only remember the the kitchen, a radio on the table, small kitchen, so it, it wasn't that far to the uh, to the stove. Yes, I remember this from when I was growing up. Same thing. The small yeah. table in the kitchen. We had far fewer people sitting at the table than you did, I think. Uh, but no, nope. we, we were only four. Oh at yeah, the table. and you yeah. could literally reach reach from the chair that you were sitting in across to the refrigerator or the stove. Just about. Yeah, Just that's about. the way it was in ours. <laughs> and what, what was your mom a good cook? Uh, is this is this going to be heard by other people? <laughs> probably probably yeah, <laughs> but not is, too many of her friends i have a feeling i have a feeling the answer is no 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 my, no let, let me put it this way my mother uh got all her uh, kitchen training and uh, from her mother she was and uh so there were about four or five dishes that she made that were wonderful. Mm -hmm. But she had a habit of making chicken soup and then and then serving the chicken. Oh, <laughs> yummy! Or or and 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 meat. Anytime there was meat, it had to be cremated before. <laughs> we Mom didn't know anything about medium rare. Right, right, right. So it was, <laughs> but she did make some wonderful things. Mother made uh, filter fish. Yes. She had a special bowl and a special chopper that fit in the bowl. And she would, I remember vividly how, how many times. filter fish, by the way, does not have a, a specific recipe. It's only what's available in the fish market that with that day. <laughs> right, right. You wouldn't buy the fish and, and eat it uh, on its own. It was no. always for the confilter fish. Right, right. Right, so, right. Why a special was, bowl? A spe I don't know. It was a, a wooden bowl that you had to chop. Uh, and, and probably the smell from the fish resided okay, in the bowl. There you go. I suspect, yeah, I and suspect. that's probably why she used it over and over again. And and it was terrific gefilte fish. My father loved it. Later in life, we went to visit them when they were they had uh, left the house and had a small apartment. My wife was in the kitchen with my mother, and uh, and she, as she was preparing dinner for all of us in their little apartment, my my mother took a jar of gefilte fish out of the refrigerator and my wife looked at it and said commercial filter fish and my mother said Shh, don't tell charlie <laughs> your dad right <laughs> don't tell charlie 
<laughs> I guess she didn't uh, notice the change. Right. What were the other? What were her other specialties? Matzo ball soup, very good matzo balls. Her, I'll tell you, and the matzo balls. She once told me the secret to good matzo balls. Yeah. Is, is seltzer water. Mix it with seltzer water. Whoa. So that keeps, so that keeps it light and, and right. Fluffy. Gives it a little luft. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. She <laughs> right. also made terrific stuffed cabbage. Loved her stuffed cabbage and. Blinces. Mm-hmm. Blinces with cheese and we didn't we didn't use the blinces with the uh, uh, sour cream, sour cream and, and cheese. Veggies, not jam, not jellies and jam. No, 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 no. That that that's a, a an anathema. Uh, I remember growing up with um, cabbage rolls as well, and how much cabbage rolls are sort of uh, ubiquitous in uh, all uh, almost all European cooking. Uh, in our case, they, they were, my mom made them with uh, lemon sauce, the Greek egg lemon sauce. But, you know, the basic in, inside mixture of cabin rolls, uh, cabbage rolls, basically the same. It's ground meat of some kind with maybe yes. rice and uh, onions, garlic, whatever was inside. But it was uh, very, very sort of ubiquitous all through that part of the world. Think about it. It's probably very cheap to make too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cabbage. <laughs> there you Cabbage. go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And um, not a, yeah. Not exactly filet of mignon. <laughs> no. 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 The cheap. <laughs> right. 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 Now, did you guys go out? Rarely. Rarely. And when we did, now understand. My family. My mother, of course, cooked kosher. Right. Uh, it was not a religious thing, I don't think. Uh, it was more tribal, but more to the point, that's how her mother taught her to cook. And, and her mother died just before she was married. So there was always a kind of a, uh, an homage to her mother. And, and, and that's why we were, we were kosher. There weren't that many good kosher restaurants uh, when we were kids. So most of the time that we went out, we went out to what they call dairy restaurants. They, what was a dairy they, restaurant? It only served dairy, no meat. Uh, and, and that was in know, general, the, the prescription for kosher food, right? No dairy with meat. Oh, that's it. You, you cannot mix meat and milk. Kosher was the pure food and drug act of its time. Uh, when it when it was instituted, it was a theocracy. The, the 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 rabbis were in charge. So when they made a uh, any kind of law, it became a religious law. Right. Considering the porousness of of dishware at the time, the concept was that if you had uh, the fat from meat. Uh, it did not mix well with the fat from dairy. Right. That, and without uh, refrigeration. Without refrigeration. So right. The, so it basically, was the, it was the Pure Food and Drug Act. Right. Uh, and there were, uh, so you say there were different sets of dishes? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Four sets of dishes in my house. Whoa. Because, because you had to have two sets for Passover. You could not eat on the same dishes at Passover. Ah. So we had four sets of dishes in our house. 
So two for regular, for regular, and one for meat, one for dairy, and one for Passover, meat. and one for Passover. Ah, oh, wow! I had no idea. So then, at, at when you went out, did you just go to kosher restaurants, or did you go to other restaurants as well? No, uh, no. <laughs> we went to basically, uh, as I said, dairy restaurants. They were not exactly fine dining, but right. that are, are are eating out. Let me tell you. You, you mentioned that I became a, a musician at an early age, as a teenager. Right. I actually became a band leader uh, at age 15. You're kidding. How did yes. that happen? You can uh, do the arithmetic, but that was 1946. Ah. Uh, in there were no musicians around. They were all in the Army. And, right. and so I got a job uh, leading a band in a summer resort in the, in the Catskills. The point being, uh, I started working as a as a teenager, and I specifically remember the one time coming home from a job, probably in a church basement dance or something. Mm-hmm. I think we, I think we made five dollars, which was a lot of money in those days. Mm-hmm. And I got off the tra- uh, the subway at. Freeman Street Station, went downstairs. I was going home. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning or one thirty, something like that. And the local diner was open. And I remember specifically going in and having bacon and eggs. I had never tasted bacon in my life. Oh. So, forbidden fruit. Forbidden, totally forbidden. But boy, that was the. I never had bacon and eggs that good ever since. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. From then on, <laughs> yes. right. <laughs> so, so you were you were out of the house at fifteen. I, w- I wasn't out of the house. No, I still lived at, at oh, home. Oh, so whenever whenever you weren't on tour, you were back home. Well, yes, exactly. Well, I was still going to school. I mean, uh, uh, that was summer, right? Uh, that I had a, a band in, in a resort. I didn't go on the road until uh, till I graduated college. Actually, I was uh, I was in high school and college in New York. Right. And, uh, so tell me, were, were your were your parents thrilled that you uh, were matriculating kind of uh, uh, sporadically <laughs> that you weren't going to college full time? Oh, I was going to college full time. Oh, you were. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I went, but I went, you, I, you told me a story once about your mom and your diploma. I graduated college in 1952. Right. That was the Korean War. And uh, you, uh, you stayed, as long as you stayed in college, you weren't drafted. But the minute right. you graduated, you became eligible for the draft. So I knew that um, uh, I was going to be drafted as soon as I graduated. So I, that's when I went on the road with uh, Sammy Kay. Sammy Kay. Wow. Uh, playing and, uh, playing what? You were playing what? Playing clarinet, this, saxophone? Tennis sax, clarinet, all the flute, all the wind instruments. Right. And I was also the backup singer. He had a boy singer who was very lazy. He was a good singer, but he was very lazy. So uh, we would go on the road and people would ask for, uh, you know, a request for a, a Tune that was popular that day, and he, mm-hmm. if he did, if he didn't know it, I got to sing it. <laughs> yeah. 
my singing career. Well, it didn't start it, but yeah. that, that advanced it anyway. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, the point is the tour left town before my actual graduation. A few days before. So yeah. I never went to my graduation and I never picked up my diploma. My mother, therefore, never believed that I graduated because I didn't have a diploma. You can't see it. It it didn't happen. <laughs> and I would say, Mom, no, 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 my dad graduated. She'd say, okay, if you say so, I, I won't. <laughs> but she never believed it. Okay. Now, jump cut. We're now talking the 90s. Many years later. Right. Oh, yes. Long after the Rothschilds and Barney Miller, uh, there was an organization in uh, California called the New York Alumni. And it was made up of uh, all the uh, show business people who had migrated to California in the 70s and 80s, and they wanted to stay together. Uh, right. And they had a, an afternoon of uh, at Beverly Hills High School where they had all the different high schools of New York, so you could go and visit with your uh, uh, fellow alumni. And at night, a big a big show where all the comics, all the New York comics would perform, and, and they honored an ex-New Yorker every year. And this was the year that I was honored. And to, to do so, they had a big uh, uh, ceremony, you know. I must have told someone about my high school diploma because at the at the uh, uh, affair, they someone came with a copy of my high school diploma to present to me. By that time, my mother was very old and was in a um, uh, assisted living facility in uh, uh, down in Laguna Beach or somewhere. Next day, I jumped into my car and I drove down to her. To show her, look, Ma, here's my diploma. And she said, good. Now you got something to fall back on. <laughs> oh, she, I love it. Your mother that, sounds like a, she sounds like a character. She was a pisser. <clears throat> yeah. She, she was. Oh, you also told me a story once about your mom in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, Retirement home, and the nurse who asked her about her age. She was she was ninety eight years old by the by this time. She had to have a procedure. We ran down to the hospital, to, and uh, they were taking her in, in a, a wheelchair. We were all walking down with her. Nurse was pushing the wheelchair, and um, uh, and I was walking alongside it. And the, and the nurse was one of those kind of officious, shall I say? <laughs> she said to my mother. Oh, and how old are you? My mother said, 98. She said, really, really? What year were you born? And my mother said, you figure it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was, she, was still all, she was still all there, wasn't she? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'll tell you one more story about my mother. Because this one had to do with food. I don't recall ever eating lettuce as a child. A, a, a salad was sliced tomato, sliced cucumber, and sliced onion. Yes. 
Yeah, this is a Mediterranean salad as well, at least in Greece. That's what they give you. They don't grow lettuce. I didn't. I don't remember lettuce. Yeah. I I had I was fine with the cucumbers and the tomatoes, but the onions I couldn't handle. And let me tell you, these were not Maui onions or Vidalia <laughs> onions. These were onions that made you cry in the next room. Mm-hmm. So uh, I used to push the onions aside. You have to understand the the the, the place of Chinese food in Jewish culture. For some reason, uh, Sunday night in, in, in the Bronx at that time, I guess all the non-kosher Jews or kosher Jews who were willing to uh, ignore the, the problem just all went to Chinese restaurants. Uh, so this they, I think echoed in, in many Jewish homes all over the country. Oh, yes. Chinese food yep. became... Sundays in uh, Chinese. Sundays was Chinese food. So every Monday morning, that was the topic of a discussion with all the kids in school, was where they went to, which Chinese restaurant, what they ate, and, you know, and everything, everything like that. We never went because Mama was kosher. She was not about to, to uh, break right. the rules. Right. So I'm listening to this for every Monday morning for I don't know how long. Finally, I went home to my mother. I said, all my friends go to Chinese restaurants on, on Sunday night. We never do. Can we go? And I, I'd like to know what it's like. And my mother said, it's got onions. You wouldn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mom. <laughs> right. So, so let's well, well, let's we'll do another jump cut here because I'm I'm okay. interested also in you're talking about the fact that you were you worked in the Catskills when you were a teen, right? What was yes. the food like? What was the food like there? Plentiful is the word. <laughs> Plentiful. You didn't order food. Uh, all those uh, hotels, resort hotels, came with food. Right. You food, and I don't. I wouldn't say it was great food, but plentiful. You could eat and eat and eat all you right. wanted. Everybody was overfed. Everybody was overfed, and it, but I don't recall too many uh, gourmet uh, days. Right. Right. Just co- just copious amounts of whatever was there. Copious amounts because you could order anything. You could order right. anything uh, if they had uh, two or three, you know, choices for entrees. You're gonna have two, two. You know? right? <laughs> and, right. Both. and and though and yes, it did happen, and I saw it happen. They would have two, three appetizers, try the soup, and I'll have an entree, and also give me a taste of the other entree. Right. <laughs> what was, the heck? Right. What? So then, uh, when you when you got back home, you finished college, then you went into the army. Then I went into the army, and you were in and army bands for a while. Army band, army band, three hundred fifty six army band, Fort Belvoir, Virginia. How? So how did the uh, how did the acting happen? Well, all this time I had been a singer. Understand, I was the band singer, or I tried to be the band singer. When I was the leader, I was certainly the band singer. <laughs> you made the choice, right? A singing saxophone player worked more than a non-singing saxophone player. 
and mm-hmm. I knew all all the standards, all the pop tunes. So uh, I worked right through high school and college uh, as a professional musician. Uh, in the army, we were. I'm stationed in Fort Belvoir, Virginia, which is right next to Washington D.C. And uh, the army is divided up into uh, army units: first army, second army, third army, uh, across the country. Except for the military district of Washington, has its own little organization, and they also had a. A unit that did shows and you know entertainment district of Washington didn't have a piano player, didn't have musicians with it. It was small because it was very small, you know. It didn't uh, service an entire first army unit, which is like three, four states. So they used to borrow the piano player from our band every time they wanted to do a show. And he was the guy who I played with, not only in the band but. We would play at the officers' club on Saturday night, or the service club, or the NCO club uh, as a gig on weekends. We made extra money, so he knew all my songs, he knew all my keys, he knew, you know. So one time he was being uh, borrowed again by special service. He turned to me and he said, "You want to sing a song in the show? Uh, I'll have him borrow you too." And I said, uh, "Sure, why not?" I'm- Give it a shot. I don't know. And that started the whole thing. Mm. I I went with him to special services, they called it. That was it. Special right, services. Right, right. And and uh, I went with him. Not only did they stage a musical number uh, where I, for the first time, I was singing without a saxophone hanging around my neck, but I was playing a character singing this song. But they also had me, they also said, we're doing this sketch, do you mind playing the character of the father or whatever it was? You only got, you only got four lines. You got one entrance, you got four lines. I said, okay, I'll try it, you know. To this day, I can remember the physicality of making my entrance into that scene. The feeling of the lights on the stage, the warmth I, I, I remember it viscerally to this day, walking on that stage saying, ooh, this feels nice. Mm. And then, of course, saying my first line and getting a laugh. Ah. Ah, yes. So The bomb of laughter, right. All of a sudden, this whole new world was you know, opened up to me. But when I went into the army, there was Stan Tenton, Woody Herman, Billy oh, May. Oh, boy. Basie. I used to be a huge Stan Kenton fan. Oh, that was the best of big band jazz. Yeah, best. yeah. When yeah. I got out of the army, they were all disbanded. Mm. I I went back with Sammy Kay, actually, and did a television show. And one of the guests, I'll never forget this, Bill Haley and the Comets. Oh, boy. The beginning of the end. Well, it was the end of big band jazz and the That's beginning I mean. of rock and yep. roll. And, and it was not a musical choice that I was interested in making. That was yeah. the, and so I said to myself, what, are, what, what do I got to do to maybe try acting, try the theater? Mm-hmm. I went to the only person I knew 
who had ever been in the theater, which is a trumpet player named Billy Heyer. I said, Billy, what, what, what should I do? To... And he said, well, you got to study acting, you got to study singing, you got to study dancing, you know. You gotta... So he said, he gave me a singing teacher and told me where to go. And I started doing that. Uh, I looked over somebody's shoulder where they were reading Showbiz magazine or newspaper to see where the, the uh, auditions the, were. For summer stock. Right. And I got the very first one that I did. Got Now, I suspect that part of it, it was a, a, a chorus, chorus in the yeah. summer stock. Yeah. But I suspect that a lot of that had to do with the fact that I could read music and I could learn harmony really quickly, you know, mm-hmm. having a lot of musical background. So that probably what me got, got me in in the first place. First season we did. Ten complete musicals. Ten. We would rehearse by one week in the afternoon and do a show at night. Right. So by the end of the season, I had ten musicals under my belt. Wow. And that's what started me in... in yeah. This, this is a, 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 a trajectory that I don't think exists anymore uh, for young actors. Uh, no. One that I followed as well. I started, you know, after college, going summer stock, doing you know, five shows in in two months, uh, rehearsing one a day, you know, doing the other, the second show at night, like like being in a repertory company, really. Yeah. Yes, that's the best training in the world. Yeah, you had no choice but to yeah. learn. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and and it happens still in other countries. It's just not as prevalent here now as it used to be, and I, I'm I'm sorry for that. Well, it's not uh, it's not uh, economically feasible. I think. Yep. It, they, they discovered that it would be easier instead of doing ten shows in one theater, you did one show in ten theaters. Right. Yes. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And from there, from there, it was um, uh, you uh, ultimately found your way to Broadway. You were. Uh, were you an understudy in the beginning? I know you did some standby roles for a while. For a while, for a decade. <laughs> uh, oh, really? I made my Broadway debut in a leading role as the leading man opposite Judy Holiday and Bells Are Ringing. That was the first mm-hmm. step to the Broadway stage. I was in summer stock. I was going with a girl who was in Bells Are Ringing. That was Franny. My eventual wife. Yeah, right. I remember Franny well. And Franny, Franny, uh, there was uh, the understudy to the lead was leaving to do another show or something or another company. I don't remember. And they decided he was a standby. The difference between standby, of course, uh, an understudy's in the show in another position and, and covers the the leading man. Uh, they decided that. Uh, this was, uh, I think, the third year of the show or the second year. They decided that they would not have a standby but have an understudy. So uh, they were uh, – uh, Franny went to the stage manager and said, listen, I know a guy. I think he'd be really perfect for this. Uh, I didn't have an agent. I was in summer stock. I had to drive all the way from somewhere in Connecticut uh, all the way down to, to uh, audition for the stage manager. Just so that I could get an audition with the auditioners. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I must have auditioned four or five times for four different people. Uh, the last audition was in between shows on a Saturday matinee for Judy Holiday herself. She had to know that she could, that for somebody she could work with. I right. went in for her. She said, okay. And then I got in my car and I went and played a bar mitzvah in, <laughs> in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> And I told all the band, all the band leaders, I, I'm going to have to cancel all my dates because I'm going to, I'm going to try this, uh, going right. go this, I'm going to start. This, this acting my, thing, right. And this acting thing, right. <laughs> uh, I started rehearsal on Monday morning with Charlie, the stage manager and a book. I had seen the show many, many times because right. I was with Franny. So I, <laughs> I had seen it many, many times. So I was well aware of the show. Uh, Saturday morning was understudy, the first understudy rehearsal, where all the understudies do the show. Right. Right. And right in the middle of it, out came Charlie and said, uh, you better keep rehearsing, kid, because you're on today. It was, it was. Your first rehearsal with everyone, and you're going on that night. And there was. There was one number I had never rehearsed, one big dance, big chorus number, dance number that I was in the middle of. I'd never rehearsed it. I had only seen it from the front. I'd never seen it from the back. I remember specifically going on. Well, luckily, the number was called Hello, Hello There, and it was about uh, Judy's character taking my character to introduce me to the subway because I was a, a purely a, a, a taxi guy. And she took me in the subway and showed me how you say hello to people and they're nice. Mm -hmm. and that was the number. So it, so being out of place was okay. Right, right. <laughs> I remember somebody grabbing my hand and said, dance with me. And I danced with her. She says, now go over and dance with Phyllis. I said, who's Phyllis? I didn't even know that. <laughs> people <laughs> so uh, that was my broadway debut in the lead wow lead wow you know uh, my my wife joanna whom you know and who's a theater uh, actress as well as having made movies and been on television as you have and we always say that the great stories almost all the great stories are theater stories that you don't have a lot of great stories when you're on TV or when you're in the movies, um, because you're part of a machine, really. Uh, but with theater, there's always, you know, I, I just I remember so many just personal stories that I can I can hearken back to, like this wonderful story you just told. Um, yeah. Just so extraordinary. Oh, Hal, thank you so much. Uh, I, I can't tell you how much uh, fun I've had just talking to you and looking at you because I don't get to see you very often. Um, I was one of your boys in the Rothschilds. So thank you so much, Hal Linden. You are an inspiration to me. You always have been, and you always will be. I love you. My love to you. All right. Take care. Thank you, Hal.